Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 because as believers in christ standing up for christ is going to call for suffering it's going to call for sacrifice now notice he says rejoice in suffering he says Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. We don't rejoice about our sufferings. That's masochism. That's finding pleasure in the pain. And that's a sick person who finds pleasure in the pain. But no, this is speaking rejoicing in our sufferings. I may not be happy about the circumstances that are going on right now in my life, but I'm rejoicing inwardly. I'm rejoicing in the midst of those because I have a relationship with the Lord. And now that we rejoice in the suffering, we're talking about now we know that the suffering, there's a divine rationale. There's a divine plan behind all of this. There's a divine plan. The word for suffering is philipsis in the Greek. It literally means pressure. It was used of crushing olives in an olive press in order to squeeze the oil out. So in that day, they had these olive presses, and they would squeeze the oil out. And the suffering that it's speaking of here, although it's not excluding other suffering, but the suffering it's talking about here is the suffering that would come as a result of being a follower of Jesus Christ, as a result of standing on his word, as a result of preaching the gospel. That's the kind of suffering that we're talking about. It, it's a squeezing, it's a pressure from the world that comes in. It's not your air conditioner going out in the summertime, although here in the Imperial Valley, yeah, that's suffering. But it's different than that. It's speaking about suffering for the cause of Christ. And we see that Paul and Silas had joy in their suffering. They may not have been happy about what was going on in their life, but they had joy when they were arrested in Acts chapter 16. Listen to these words. It says, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, so Paul and Silas, they're brought, they're beaten because of preaching the gospel. They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So they weren't just in jail. They had their feet in stocks. They couldn't move. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. It's amazing. We can rejoice in suffering. Why can we rejoice in suffering? There's a reason that we can rejoice in our suffering because like I said, it has a divine purpose. And suffering, first and foremost, for you and I, it leads to spiritual maturity. It says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
producing endurance. Endurance is the ability to face difficulties, hardships, and suffering without giving in. So the first thing we see is that when we encounter sufferings, it's supposed to produce endurance in us. This is why Paul in Acts chapter 14, they go and they're strengthening the other disciples. They're encouraging them because they're going under suffering and he's helping them to endure. It says in verses 21 to 22, when they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How would you like that for an altar call? Hey, anyone want to believe in Jesus? Come forward. We'd like to pray for you. And by the way, you're going to enter with many tribulations into the kingdom of God. That's the facts of the matter. And those tribulations and those sufferings and the persecutions is what will weed out the real from the fake. So in Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, when Jesus was talking about the parable of the seed and the sower, the one with shallow root was the one that would fall away. Look what it says. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. See, one thing suffering will do, it'll always expose the depth of your faith. Is your faith rooted today? Is your faith actually rooted today? And that's what you have to ask yourself, man. Am I rooted today in faith? Am I willing to endure through the tribulations that come as a result of serving God, serving the Lord, living out His Word? Secondly, endurance produces character. Look at this chain reaction that's happening. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Endurance produces character. The Greek word dokimi includes the idea of approved as a result of testing. In other words, your character, who you are, is really tested through things like suffering. And that's what Paul's saying here. This is going to produce character. Why? Because suffering will always expose those weaknesses in you. If you want to grow spiritually, you have to say, man, I want to develop my character. But in praying that prayer, you need to understand that suffering's going to come because that's what's going to expose the character and the weaknesses that need to be shored up in our life. In the 1800s, the gold prospectors and dealers, they needed to distinguish gold from other base metals. So they would apply nitric acid and it would dissolve the other metals more quickly than the gold. The acid test was used to prove which was the real gold from the other metals. And as we endure through suffering, it's the acid test that's going to expose the metal that shouldn't be there. Because we want to be refined like gold. We want our, our character to be golden before the Lord. That's what that means when you say, hey, that guy is golden. You're saying, man, that's a guy of good character. That's a guy I can trust. He's golden. Sufferings like the pressure put on carbon to produce a diamond. Thirdly, character produces hope. So not only does it Uh, produce endurance and character, but character produces hope. And the end result of this chain reaction is just that. It is hope. 
It is hope. And I think that we need hope today. And the kind of hope we need is not what a man promises. Hope is really confidence that God is in control and will see us through. That's what hope is. That He really is in control of my life. That He understands every wound. He understands every hurt. He understands the pain. He understands exactly the pit I'm in right now. But He is still in control. He is still in control of my life. He will see me through. Because look what it says. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame or it doesn't disappoint. And what he's saying is that the hope in the world is a maybe. It's not a certain. But the hope that God has is set, cement, a certainty. When we talk about biblical hope, it's like saying it's going to happen for sure. And God's actually saying it's going to happen. That's why he says, put your hope and trust in me in the Psalms. That hope is a reality. It will materialize. It will crystallize because God won't break his promise. And so that hope is very different than the hope that we see in the world where it is a maybe. This type of hope is an absolute certainty. It will not disappoint. It will not put us to shame. Whatever you put your hope in with God, it will not disappoint. That's what blows me away about like when I saw the movie, The Insanity of God. I was so impacted by that movie because you had all these people that were Christians that wouldn't deny their faith under any circumstances. They were imprisoned falsely. They went under immense torturing, even to the point of death. But many of them were just enduring suffering and they would not renounce Christ. The hope never shrunk in their lives. Under suffering, their hope only grew in Christ. And that's what real hope does. Real hope only grows in the sufferings. It never shrinks back. It only grows. Lord, this would be a good day for you to return. Why do you say that? Because you're in the midst of a trial, right? You're in the midst of a season of suffering on your own, and you're like saying, man, Lord, this would be a great day for you to return. Your hope is in that. Your hope is in that. So don't judge suffering by its cover, right? Don't judge suffering by its outward appearance. We use that term, we judge a book by its cover, right? Some of the worst books I ever read had the prettiest covers, and some of the best books I ever read had the ugliest jackets on them because it's what's in the content. You can't judge your suffering by its cover. you got to see what it's producing, what the content is inside. Now, I want to read you a poem. I want you to listen to this. It was written by a soldier, and his body was found towards the end of the Civil War. But he was a Christian, and he died on the battlefield, and he's attributed to writing this poem. And I want you to listen to it. Because when you read this poem... He's expressing the irony that in response to everything he asked from God, he was given the opposite, which created in him compassion and growth and blessing. So everything he asked for, from God, God gave him the opposite, but it was still what was the most blessed life for him and what he was really hoping for. Listen to this poem. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. 
I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. He speaks about requesting from God, and instead it seemed like he got a life of suffering, but in the end, it was really what he hoped for because the things outside never bring us fulfillment, especially with God. They make us more miserable. It's what's internal. Third thing, the assurance of our hope, and this is important, rests on God's love. This is important. This is what he's going to get into in these next verses when he says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So listen to me. Hope needs a foundation. That's what the famous atheist John Paul Sartre said. He said that towards the end of his death, I think he had about a month left, he said, I am going to die in hope. And then in profound disappointment and sadness, he said, but hope needs a foundation. And what Paul is going to say right now is our hope rests on the foundation of God's love. Okay, and I want you to see two things about this. But before we get into that, I want you to understand that God's love is very different than what we see love as as humans. That God's love is the foundation of our hope is a hesed love what's spoken of in the Old Testament, which is what Paul would have referred to. In Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 103.17, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. So I want you to see something about God's has said love. Has said is speaking of God's love for His people. It's defined as loyal, faithfulness, goodness, and graciousness, but it's forever and ever. Everlasting. And so pick up on these two things. God's love is experienced through the Holy Spirit. That's what He just said. He said, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. God didn't just give us His love through an eyedropper and squeeze drops of it. He poured it in bucket loads of love. That's what that means. He lavished His love upon us. God's not stingy with His love. And in times of suffering, I think you need to understand this. Because some people are under the impression that God loves them less when they go through suffering. Some people are under the impression that God somehow jumps ship when they're in the midst of their suffering. And I believe this is why Paul is bringing this out right now. He knows the church in Rome is going to suffer. He knows you and I are going to suffer. But that doesn't mean that God loves you any less. And Tim Keller said these words, many Christians testify that they feel more of God's presence and love during suffering because it makes them focus on and trust in Him more. When my children were growing up and they got sick and they were suffering, they were the ones that got the most attention. If Cameron was sick, mom would be over there constantly waiting on him. She didn't love him any less. She paid more attention to him. 
when Carissa was sick and she needed attention and ministry there, that Griselle was always at their side, always giving them vitamins, always giving them liquids, always trying to get them to drink stuff. They got more of her attention, the sick child did. I think in many ways, that's the way it is with God. He understands even how deep your suffering is right now. He will not abandon you. His has said love, loyal love, gracious love is from beginning to end. That's what the scriptures declare. The second thing you need to see is God's love is proven through the death of Christ. Now just hang with me. We're almost done here. God's love is experienced through the Holy Spirit. You've experienced that. But it's not only that, it's proven through the death of His Son. Now watch this. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us since. Therefore, we have now been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Now, listen to me, please. God proved His love for us when we were at our worst. Let that sink in. God proved His love for us, not while you were at your best, but when you were at your worst. Look at the words that are used to describe us. In verse 6, first part, we were weak, meaning we were powerless to do anything about the condition we were in. In other words, we were quicksand, sinking, sinking, sinking before God pulled us out. We were ungodly, the end of verse 6. We were sinners, verse 8. We were enemies of God, verse 10. That's our character reference before coming to Christ in faith and being a child of God. You weren't at your best. I don't care what anybody says. You, you don't have a clue to the holiness of God and to the greatness of God to think that, man, you brought something great to the table. No, you were weak. You were ungodly. You were a sinner. You were an enemy of God, according to the Scriptures. And I would say a wholeheartedly amen to my own life in that. And so God saved us when we were at our worst. That's how much He loves us. Human love at its best will be motivated by a person to give his or her life for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one may die for. That's what he says. He says maybe for a righteous person somebody would give their life for. Maybe for a good person perhaps somebody would die for that person. But no, we were weak, sinners, ungodly enemies of God when Christ died for us. That highlights God's love for us. Christ sent by God didn't die for righteous people or even the good people. He died for the rebellious and undeserving. That leads to the fact that God's love is far greater in its magnitude and dependability than any human love. I don't care who's failed you in the past. I don't care how many people told you they love you and they failed you. They said one day they loved you and they walked out the next day. God's love cannot be put on a human level. Can't be defined by human terms, really. So that's how it's defined right there. And so I want you to see in closing two things of our standing with God because you need to grab this. And I'm going to close, all right? Please, just hang with me. Our standing with God is guaranteed. Guaranteed. 
in the present. Our present standing with God is guaranteed. Look at verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. I want you to see that our guaranteed, our standing with God is guaranteed now in this life. Justified means it was a done deal. That took place. It's kind of like a murder trial. If you try somebody for murder and they're found not guilty, you can't try that person again. You cannot try that person again for murder. When it came to our sins and God justified us, they are gone. They are gone. That's why Micah 7, 18 to 19 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And Corey Tinboom, who wrote a book, Tramp of the Lord, she spent time in a concentration camp, a Nazi concentration camp. She said, when we confess our sins, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. Then God places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. Satan may try and dredge up your past, but God doesn't. The other thing I want you to see is our future standing with God is guaranteed. This is important. Not just our present standing with God, but our future standing with God. Look at the end of verse 9. We've been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life now listen to me that is guaranteed to the end when paul uses the word saved there he's talking about future that every believer is saved on that day of judgment from the wrath of god paul uses salvation in three tenths past you were saved and sometimes he says you are being saved in this life and then third tense is future where he says you will be saved and that's what he's talking about there that at the end you will not receive the wrath of God because you've not only been justified in this life this present life but also when you stand before God in the future guaranteed that promise is important especially when Satan tries to lie to you during times of suffering you're not saved or this wouldn't be happening to you if you're saved, then why isn't God jumping in to bail you out? If you were really one of God's children, would you really be waking up in the morning and that suffering still be before you? If you were saved, wouldn't you have God's favor on your life? And Paul wants you to understand just how much favor you have on your life as a believer. Suffering in this life does not change who God is and His character and our standing before God we have a right standing with him today and we have a future standing before him when we stand before him and hear those words well done good and faithful servant not because we were perfect and we accomplished everything according to his will but because of what Jesus did on the cross we have every reason to rejoice more than that verse 11 we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we now have received reconciliation philippians 4 4 says rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice 
Wow. We rejoice in our sufferings in verse 3, and we rejoice in our relationship with God in verse 11. During this week, I want you to reread these verses, 1 through 11. I want you to see what God did for you because you were justified. In the previous chapters, chapter 3, verse 21, through the end of 4, you were justified, made right with God because of your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. This week, I want you to read verses 1 through 11. Again, get alone with God and see what He's done for you and how great of a God we serve. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977